please turn your Bibles this morning to the Old Testament book of Joshua. The Old Testament book of Joshua, and we're going to be in chapter 4 today. In April in 1863, in Columbus, Mississippi, after decorating the graves of her two sons who served during the Civil War as Confederate soldiers, an elderly woman also decorated graves at the corner, opposite corner of the cemetery. And someone was watching her and they asked, what are you doing? Those are the graves of two Union soldiers. And she replied, I, I know. I also know that somewhere in the north, a mother or young wife mourns for them as we do for ours. And those ladies set in motion for what is known today as Memorial Day. Memorial Day is a day set aside each year to remember those who gave their lives in the armed forces. And we remember those who died in faraway battlefields to bring freedom to oppressed people. And we commemorate their actions by honoring them in ceremonies across the land. It's, it's no surprise to me, though, that many people do not reflect upon the past during this holiday more than really any other day in our postmodern, in our tech-savvy, media-driven world, we don't look to the past to find any wisdom, really. We view what has been as largely, ir largely irrelevant to what is happening now. The ancients, they're not our models anymore, and we place little value in traditions and in customs. And so when Memorial Day rolls around, like it is this weekend, our thoughts automatically do not turn to the past and the departed, but most people appreciate Memorial Day for an extra day off of work, right? And my purpose today is not to call us to some renewed energy to remember for Memorial Day, because this really isn't a religious holiday. It's very secular. But all throughout Scripture, though, God points his people to remember in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 12, it reads, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You know, a failure of memory in those things which are most significant can result in a failure of faith. And throughout the scriptures, we find references to monuments and memorial feasts and ritually repeated stories which all serve to reinforce the memory of the people of God. And the great saving acts of God were rehearsed and represented so that people would not forget what God has done for their sake. Our Old Testament text for today, Joshua chapter 4, stands as an example to this. And the narrative that leads up to chapter 4 and this text tells a, stories, a story of the Israelites' long-awaited entry into the Promised Land. And after 40 years of wilderness wandering, the people have finally reached their destination. And, and yet there's this swollen, flood-staged Jordan River that blocks their way into the Promised Land. And, and God instructs the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant to begin to place their feet into this flooded river. There's no way that they could cross this river. And as they placed their feet in this river, the water ceased flowing and the people crossed over on dry ground. 
just as their forefathers crossed over the Red Sea as the Egyptians were, were pursuing them. And when they all finished passing over the, the Jordan, the leader of Israel, Joshua, had a simple monument built to commemorate this incredible event. This memorial monument that was built served to remind the people that their progress and their very existence was in the hands of God. Let me read you today's text. It's found in Joshua chapter 4, verses 1, and we'll go through verse 9. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the twelve stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. We're going to talk about the, the purpose of a memorial, and I have no less than two reasons for, for a memorial. The first is to pass a legacy to a younger generation. The first purpose of a memorial is to pass a legacy to a younger generation. Now, memorials, if you've ever seen one, been to one, visited one, are usually made of stone because they're built to last. And we find in Joshua chapter 4, 6 and 7, what we just read, this, this reason, this, this reason of passing this legacy on to a younger generation. But as we read further in this chapter, in verses 21 through 24, you, you see this reasoning repeated. Let me read this to you. Verse, verse 21 says, When Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. These memorial stones were simply a way to pass on a legacy of faith to children. I, I, I think about Christianity and how I think that it's really never more than a generation away from extinction. For sure in your family, that Christianity, if this legacy is being passed out on, it's never more than a, just a generation away to be passed on. And so we do things in families. I'm sure yours does. We do. We, you have memorials like 
passing on family traditions. They might be silly, they might be serious, but still there's a reason for that family tradition to be passed on. And so we, we keep the central meaning of holidays, and the secularization of holidays will happens, it'll always happen, and, and, and perhaps it'll become greater, but you will keep the central meaning of holy days. And then you will celebrate rites of passage of the goodness of God in birthdays, in graduations, anniversaries, and other milestones that you have going on in your family. And so, so important, the purpose of a memorial, whether it be a, a monument built or a tradition that's passed on, is to pass this legacy to a younger generation. The second purpose of a memorial is to communicate a message with clarity. The purpose of a memorial is so that there's a clear communication of, of, of a message, that it's not, it doesn't become legendary with sorts, all sorts of other uh, fables and, and legends added to it, but it's just a clear, clear message. In verses 5 and 6, it says, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder. And so as you think about this, they weren't little rocks, I don't think. They weren't just looking around on the bottom of the Jordan, so here's one easy to pick up, and here's one easy to skip. And, you know, it, it, it was a stone that was placed on a shoulder. So these were large stones. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. This is to be a sign among you. The 12 stones were, th- were from the bottom of the Jordan, and they represented each tribe of Israel. And so everyone had a part in this. Everyone could have a, have a connection. Children will go up and say, that's the stone from our tribe. And, and, the, and there, was, there was a clear message there. The message of these stones that they were communicating was um, the amazing power of God, that he had loving care for his people. Each tribal family was a participant because we all stand, they all stood on the strong and wide shoulders of their forefathers. And these stones sent a clear message that's repeated two times in chapter 4, which give it great emphasis. And if there is a message, if there's a memorial, it needs to be communicated with a clear voice. The Apostle Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and he, he writes about the importance of clear communication. He says, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or the harp, he's talking about musical instruments, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Verse 8 says, again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, a clear call, who will get ready for battle? Who will have enough action if you don't hear a message or see a message or, or communicate that message with clarity? A memorial needs to send a clear message and, a sound, and sound a clear call or else no one's going to respond and no one's going to care. And that memorial is just going to crumble. And your tradition or your celebration, your, your uh, 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 telling of the story of the goodness of God, if it's not clear, how can it be passed on? The purpose of a memorial, first, is to pass a legacy on to your children to another generation. And second is to communicate a message with clarity. 
But I, I, I want you to know, memorials help us remember the past, but they also give ho- us hope to the future. The best memories are an ancient future one, one that touches the past and yet makes us, helps us to look to the future. You know, in the Bible, the Lord's Supper is a perfect example of this. We call it a memorial meal. And the Lord's Supper, Supper is a hopeful memorial. We partake of the bread and we partake of the cup. And we remember the life, the body of our Lord and the blood that was shed of our Lord. And when we partake of that, we read scripture and we, and we think and, and we have images of things that happened to our Lord. The deceit and the betrayal and the cruelty and those things rock our emotions just to our core. But the Lord's Supper does more than that. It reminds us of the sacrificial love of God. It speaks of a love that won't let us go and it continually reaches out even though we're depraved. But the Lord's Supper is even more than that because there's a touch with the ancient of what the, how, how and when the Lord instituted that from ancient days. But it also gives us a hope. We also see the promise of Jesus Christ that he's going to come again. And he said, I'll eat and drink with you in the kingdom of God. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 14. He said, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So there's this sense of we're touching the past and yet we're looking with hope to the future. The Passover feast does the same thing. When Moses instituted this Passover feast, it served this similar purpose. It was to remind the people that it was God, not they themselves, that he freed them from slavery in Egypt. And it seems like in the Bible, we... We, we, we read the Bible from the Old Testament to the New, and with divine repetition, it just, it just keeps pounding and pounding at this idea. You can't forget. You must remember. Remember that God called Abraham in his old age, and yet he promised him a future with many children. Remember that the children of God were slaves in a foreign land and were freed by God's grace and power. Remember that God brought Israel to greatness, even though she was so weak. Remember the commands of the Lord. Don't ever forget the commands of the Lord. And the psalmist sums up this message well in Psalm 105. In verse 5, he says, Remember the wonders he has performed, his miracles and his rulings he has given. Don't forget these things. So what happens when we forget? What, What happens to us when we forget? Well, tragedies happen in our lives when we forget the Lord and the goodness and his faithfulness. When you forget, you're not grateful for the past or for the present, and you're not hopeful for the future. You fall into thanklessness, and that's dangerous. And when you fall into thanklessness because you forget mistakes that are, are repeated because the lessons that the Lord has been trying to teach you, and if you forget those things, mistakes are repeated, and, and, and you stop reflecting on any lessons that, and any growth that he's given you. One of the most tragic things is this. When we forget, we lose touch with an idea that we're part of a bigger story of God. We become independent. We don't see the connectedness from people of old. We don't see the the faithfulness of God from a past generation that brought us to where we are today. 
And so we don't connect to this larger story. We become independent. We trust only in ourselves. And your life is so shallow, it's not deep, and it's only for the present and, and some sort of a hope for a, for a future. And even when your past is painful, and I know many of us have a painful past, and the best thing you want to do today is just forget about your past because it was so painful. To carefully and methodically unpack that past, that painful past, and prayerfully unpack that past so that you can identify the things that happened in your past that were destructive and so that you don't keep repeating the same mistakes in your life. Well, there, are, there is a problem when people are stuck in their past, though. I mean, we want to remember the past, but you don't want to be stuck there. You ever wish someone... You ever wish some, wish some people just didn't have such a great memory? <laughs> there are some people who only dwell in the past. They don't de deal with the present. They're in denial over present challenges and in the future. Some only glorified days gone by in their delusional and bordering on fantasy. We call that the golden age syndrome. People who tend to live in the past when days were simpler Friendships were closer. Motives were more pure. Morals were higher. And so forth and so on. Hopeful memory does not tell us that the best of life has already come and gone. Rather, hopeful memory trust, it thrusts us into the future. And when the prophets of old called upon God's people and told them to remember the works that the Lord has done in the past, this was to prepare them for what was the future. So let me just close with these two things. I think this is very important. Why is it important for a church as a church community to remember? Why is it important for a church to remember? Well, the church, it's important for a church to remember because it gives us a connectedness with the past to this great story of God. And from the, from the beginning of all time, from the book of beginnings, from Genesis to the coming eternal kingdom of God, we're all part of God's story, and, and we find ourselves right in, in the middle of it as a church. And then we can look to the New Testament and read about courageous church planters in the book of Acts, and we see how Nova came to be, because we're connected with that. And we sing hymns written centuries ago, and we sing them in, in, in much the same way as they were written, and we, we stand and we sing loud these, these hymns of old. And then we also do this. We bring a band together. We have a guitarist and a keyboardist and a bass and a drum, and we rearrange that hymn, and we sing it in a, in a, in a, in a more modern, modern way. It's that same ancient and future idea. And we teach and we preach from ancient texts, these, these texts that were thousands and thousands of years old, and we see that they can even relate to our 21st century experience and what we need as a church, we need truthful and accurate documentation in the history of the church and of Nova Community Church. And so we need the spoken word. We need people to talk about the faithfulness of God and what he's done here 
with this year-and-a-half-old congregation of Nova Community Church. And we need someone to write these things, things down. And, and because of what we have today, we, have, we need people to take pictures and video and so that there can be an accurate documentation of the faithfulness of God today. But we can also look back even further and see what God has done before. And, and social media will certainly help us with this. But as a church, what we need to do is we need to have frequent times and regular times to pause with reflection and thanksgiving and celebration. We need to continue the wonderful traditions of Nova Community Church. And we need to see the milestones in God's work as a church. That's why it's important for a church to remember. But let's bring this down to your life right now. Why is it important for you to remember? You yourselves. This is the personal application part of this message. Well, I think one of the first things it's important is that you would keep a journal, it, that you would practice the discipline of journal keeping. And, and what that would be, would, 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 you would write down in a book the things that are happening today in your life and the challenges that you're facing and the honesty in which you can put words on paper. And yes, there's that fear that someone might pick it up and read it, but you know what? That's their sickness. You're just trying to grow in the Lord. And so you need to write down prayers that you pray and things, challenges, and victories that you're going through. And so that you can look back years later, days later, even months later, and see the goodness of God and his faithfulness in your life. The second thing you need to do is you need to remember to celebrate traditions. It's so easy sometimes when we're busy to just, well, we'll... We'll celebrate that anniversary or that birthday or that graduation another time. Don't do that. Remember to pause long enough and to stop and say, this is an important rite of passage. This is a milestone birthday. This is a, a graduation. This is an anniversary that we need to stop and slow down and celebrate it with people that we love. The other thing you can do is explore your genogram which is an interesting thing. It's not a family tree. This is mine right here. And this took a quite, a, quite a while to, to put it together. But this is my family. And these are my parents, my brothers and sisters, and my kids, and, and my parents, brothers and sisters. And I could take about three hours and explain all of this to you. But it's not about who is on, in your family tree. It's about identifying what God has done or, and, and how he's working in your family. And what you do sometimes with your genogram is you look for destructive family patterns. Maybe there's alcoholism in your family. If there's alcoholism in your family, you're going to see it through generations and generations. And it's, it's your time to say, I'm going to break the chain here, and I'm going to start different. And so a genogram helps you to understand that. But you can improve your memories by looking back in your family in, in, in identifying destructive patterns and also victories that God of God's faithfulness and his goodness that you could celebrate and you could see the work of God in your family. The last thing I, I want to bring to you and how you can improve your memories is that you make a commitment to one local church. Last week we, we welcomed some new members. And, and what I mean by how a commitment to one local church would be important is when you have a commitment to one local church and you are worshiping and you are serving the people in that church and serving God 
and you're loving one another and you commit to being a member, you'll see a church much like what Nova Community Church is like, where it's an intergenerational church, where there's all ages worshiping together. And, and, and we have a history with one another here. There are friendships made that in, in families being put together and, and that there's a, a history and there's a, a wonderful longevity when you have a commitment to one local church. But when we live in a region like we do in the South Bay that's so transient and so expensive to live here, that people are searching for cheaper housing, people are changing jobs all around, but it also is our culture that people will leave relationships at the drop of a hat. And so marriages aren't long-lasting, and friendships don't last long either. And so does a church relationship. And so when you have a commitment to a one local church, you're not searching for that bigger, better, greener, smaller, more intimate church. You're saying, this is my church. And whether this church gets big or whether it gets small, and whether I have an argument with someone on the plaza, or whether I don't like the preaching on a particular Sunday, or whether the music just doesn't fit my style, you say to yourself, I have a commitment to this one local church, and this will be my church, and I will work through the issues and challenges, but I'll also be able to see the goodness of God and his faithfulness in my church, because God has not abandoned a church, and the people within that church need to learn to have healthy relationships with God and with one another. And love just doesn't mean, I love you today, but tomorrow I'm really not sure about it. Love means I'm going to go beyond the difficulties. And I know that our church, our new church, has been around for about a year and a half, but the two predecessor churches have had long-standing Membership, charter members. There are people who have been at the very beginning of these predecessor churches in our worship today. And these are the strong shoulders that we stand on today. There are some of you, this is the only church you've ever known, and it's been 20 plus years for you. We commend you, and we praise God for you. But it's that commitment to one local church that will help us make a memory and see the faithfulness of God. But if you keep jumping around to see, you have no touch with the past. And so you can't have an ancient in a future with anybody. I want to close with, with one last story. In the early days of the Tennessee Valley Project, the TVA, Tennessee Valley Authority, an old log homestead shack had to be abandoned to make room for a lake that, behind a dam that they were building. And that lake would provide recreation and water for uh, a, a whole group of, of residents that lived in that valley. And so the project managers told that backwoods intergenerational family that lived in that shack that they built them a brand new log home on the other side of the dam on a hillside with a view of the lake. But the family was skeptical. And the day of the flooding arrived, and the family still didn't budge. So the TVA, the Tennessee Valley Project, they didn't know what to do. In fact, the men in the family brought out their shotguns, ready to protect all that they had known for generations. 
And then someone from the TVA had an idea to bring in a social worker to talk with the family to see what's the problem here. We ain't going nowhere, the family announced. No matter how many bulldozers and how much water you bring in, we ain't going nowhere. And so the social worker just pleaded with that family, help me to explain to the authorities why you won't move into your beautiful new home. It's the fire, the father said, pointing to that blazing fire in the hearth. My grandpa built that fire over 100 years ago, and he never let it go out. He had no matches. And my pa attended that fire, and he told me, Never let that fire go out. And since Pa died last year, I've tended that fire. And I ain't going to let my grandpa or my Pa down. And so that social worker had an idea. She asked for a big cast iron kettle to be delivered to that site. And she explained to the father that he could put some of those live coals into that cast iron pot and they could carry that to that new home and transfer that ancient fire into this new home. And that way that fire would never go out. And so that family huddled together to think about what the social worker said and they agreed to move their shack, all the belongings in their shack to their new home on the hillside. You see, they couldn't imagine a hopeful future without bringing with them the ancient fire of their ancestors. That fire was a memorial to their father's faithfulness and goodness that would bring them hope for a promising future. We have our father's faithfulness and his goodness that bring us hope for a promising future. Amen.